Welcome to the Oral History at Shippensburg University podcast, episode number four. In this series, students studying oral history at Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania share their projects. We've dedicated the spring 2019 season to the subject of disability. We will be discussing the experiences of educators and activists who have spent time working with children with disabilities, the efforts of college campuses to address the needs and experiences of their, their disabled students, the formation of Shippensburg University's Disability Studies Program, and we will be assessing three distinct platforms that highlight disabled sources within oral history. Welcome. In this episode, we will be looking at digital archived oral history. The students involved are Anne Louise Mon, Martavis Washington, and Tony Patakowski. We will discuss materials from the Visible Lives Project from the New York Public Library, StoryCorps, and the Disability Rights and Independent Living Movement Oral History Project at University of California, Berkeley's Bancroft Library. The mission of StoryCorps is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. This can be seen in three objectives StoryCorps holds. One, the interview session is the heart of StoryCorps. They treat participants with the utmost respect, care, and dignity that they deserve. Two, StoryCorps maintains a relentless focus on serving a wide diversity of participants. And three, StoryCorps is at its heart a public service. When considering disabled sources on StoryCorps, several themes quickly come to attention. Uh, themes of advocacy, memorial, and religious connection. Uh, I would define advocacy in these terms as disabled people sharing their experiences. Memorial is a uh, narrative where someone with a disability has passed on and the people around them seek to memorialize or remember them in some fashion. And there is also a religious connection, especially in the tags of mentor slash angels. There are many aspects to consider when looking at the oral sources on StoryCorps. Uh, one in particular is references to the present and the interview of Sarah Churchill and Yomi Rong highlights the use of the past in the present narrative. Your skull was fractured, your arms, your ribs, your legs, and they said that you would probably die during the night. So the best thing would be to leave you at the hospital. But there was no way that I was going to leave you there. And they had a rocking chair. And I would sit there and hold you. And I remember our hearts touched each other. I used to always say, we have one heart, you and I. So what was it like caring for me throughout the years? Well, I remember giving you a bath. And you turned your arm, and I heard it. The bone snap? Yeah. And you were crying, I'm crying. I used to keep track of my fractures, but then they just got out of control. I would fall, or I remember one time one of my sisters dropped an orange on me, and that broke something. I mean, you could look at me too hard and I would break. So I have my down periods, but I don't always have to articulate every single thing because you get it. You understand. You know, one of my regrets is that I didn't have my own children. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest desires for wanting to mother is to be able to carry on this legacy of love that you started with me. 
You tell me often that you believe I picked you. I think children come as a gift to their parent. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I also feel like you picked me. If you had walked away and left me there when I was born, nobody would have looked askance. But I felt that you were a part of me. So I knew that I made the right decision. And I've always admired you for that. It was my honor. Similarly, the uh, oral interview of Megan Starkloff Breitenstein and Colleen Kelly Starkoff use we and they as narrative devices to help frame their experience within their oral interview. Here comes this guy into my office, drop dead gorgeous. I was done, Megan, right then and there. Max was six feet five, sat very tall in his wheelchair. He couldn't use his fingers or his hands, but he could get his left arm around me to hug me, and that was fine with me, and I was smitten. How long did you guys date before he proposed? We dated for two years. And when I told Grandma and Grandpa that Dad had asked me to marry him, Grandmother said to me, you marry a person because you love them, not to be their nurse. And I said, Mom, I love him, and I won't be his nurse. I'll be his partner. I'll be the mother of his children. That blew their socks off. I knew adoption was how we were going to get you guys, but getting you wasn't very easy. I remember a social worker coming out to the house and telling us how we wouldn't be good parents. I was devastated. Right. But Dad told her how wrong she was, turned to me and said, sweetie, get her coat, she's leaving, and kicked her out of the house. And so when you came along, you changed our world because you were his little buddy. And when you were four years old, you were riding on Dad's footrest in his wheelchair. I used to love doing that. Yeah, you had your feet between his feet on the foot pedals, and you had your arms resting on his knees riding down the street. And who's at the gas station at the corner but the social worker? And he rode you right up next to her car and said, I'm Max Starkloff, and I want to introduce you to my daughter, Megan. She's four years old. And then he (laughs) wheeled away, never gave her a chance to say one word. I just feel very blessed that somebody gave you guys a chance. Everything we did, we did together. Going to your games, going to your swim meets, your father was there. I knew when I met Dad that this was a man who I could stand with and love. He was a, a man among men. Your dad was a giant. The New York Public Library launched the Visible Lives or History Project on September 22, 2014. The project was funded by the Polonsky Foundation grant and with the increase in operating funds given to them by the New York City Council. The Visible Lives Project was a community-based initiative to educate the public on the disability experience. This was a community-based initiative that the New York Public Library used 55 volunteers who are normal volunteers there to go out and interview the people with disabilities. These 55 volunteers were trained by the New York Public Library to conduct proper interviews uh, to collect the 
stories and experience of the people with disabilities. All of the narrators in this project were from the New York area or had some type of experience in New York. Um, that's how they was chosen. And all the narrators either have a disability or work with people that have disabilities. A common aspect that it was that I observed throughout all the interviews on the site was the concept of community. Um, they saw themselves as a cultural group, no different than the minority group of African Americans or people with color or anything. They saw themselves as a community. They like to stand for one another and to give themselves to give each other belief, hope. They like to show that they are on an even level with anyone else. They live a normal life. Although their life may be different in some ways than ours, it's still they live their life. And my first clip that I have is from Adrian Spratt, who himself is a strong activist in the disabled community. He wants to give people with disabilities a voice. He's a writer and he has something interesting to say. I was on this block on Henry Street. I was navigating this block. I tried to go at a, a good speed because I find if I go too slowly, I sort of lose my rhythm. I tried to keep a good rhythm going because that helps uh, in a lot of ways. There's a woman walking on the other side of the street who's obviously following me very closely, which, first of all, makes me nervous. I hate being watched closely. It's, it's like when people are walking behind me and they don't... They, they, they're clearly just, just studying what I'm doing. Makes me very nervous. But she's, she's got this really loud voice. And she's bellowing, be careful, it's on the left there. Uh, there's a paving stone coming up, you're going to trip. <laughs> and it just went on and on. I said, I, I know, I know, I'm fine, really, honestly, really, I'm fine, all as well. And finally I said, will you please be quiet, I can't concentrate. <laughs> And uh, I think she was offended. <laughs> so, you know, Law and I have this expression, uh, nasty blind person, <laughs> uh -huh. um, which we mean kind of ironically. There are nasty blind people. There's one in this neighborhood who's really unpleasant to people uh, when they try to help her. But for the most part, it, it's, this, it's the dilemma that I think a lot of blind people have. How do you respond to help and in what circumstances and so on? Have you, have you written? A narrator named Danielle, also brings up this strong sense of community in her interview. She talks about the importance of people with disabilities living a normal life. Again, even though their life might be different in some ways, they still live a normal life and would like to be seen that way. Not be in society because they're disabled. I don't want people staring at them. I mean, there were times where we'd go to like Michael's craft store and we'd bring them to get supplies with us and you know they'd see us going up and down the aisles and parents and children would be staring oh you know look at the kid with down syndrome oh you know look at that girl talking to herself so I mean like we would still we still encounter issues like that but at least they're out in the community and they're known and people are seeing I mean even if they're getting a negative reaction people are still seeing and it's still not something that's hidden where if you would have spoken to me 60 years ago about this, individuals with any type of disability, but especially intellectual ones, would have been in institutions, wow. would have been segregated away from society, 
Um, the most famous one is the Willowbrook State School, which was right on Staten Island. Ironically, I actually grew up blocks away from it. Really? Um, it closed, so to speak, in 1987, or it was subject to close. I was born in 92, and the last residents, they moved off the premises and into the community, were left the premises in 1993. So I could have very easily have been one of those people. Oh, my gosh. The next digital archive is at UC Berkeley. The archive is named the Disability Rights and Independent Living Movement Project. It was launched in 1996 to capture the history of a remarkable movement by people with disabilities to win legally defined civil rights and control over their own lives. It is funded by various grants and uh, donors to the school. One of the grants is the National Endowment for the Arts, which was received in 2004. Unfortunately, due to copyright restrictions, the audio uh, files and the oral transcripts could not be used in this podcast. One of the first things I noticed for the themes of the transcripts was that the interviewers were asking the narrators more about their life history rather than their particular projects involving people with disabilities. They were uh, they were asking about their family history, what was their mo- mother's name, where did their family come from, things like that. The second major theme was that the people being chosen for the interviews were people that had impactful uh, careers involving people with disabilities. They were they have already accomplished a great deal um, with their work, including the founding of disability services across different campuses or helping establish or uh, pass various laws in place to help those with disabilities. One of the aspects of oral history being shown is references to the present. These people were giving their life history and their uh, stories, which dated back to the 1950s to the 1970s, and how their experiences within the past reflect their experiences to the present and how they are comparative or how there's differences or similarities. The next theme represented is meaningful past. The narrators were describing their life stories, their, which include their education, their family history, because it framed their future selves. It framed their experiences and what they became known for within the disability community. That's all for this episode of Oral History at Shippensburg University. We'd like to thank StoryCorps, New York Public Library, and the University of California, Berkeley, for making their services available to the public. We'd also like to thank the Communications and Journalism's Department at Shippensburg University for generously allowing us to use their audio lab to record our podcast. Thank you for listening.